Hi, this is Pastor JC. I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast here at Faith Outreach Church. We want to invite you anytime you're in the area to come by and visit us at 3001 Wallace Avenue here in Terre Haute, Indiana. Sit back and enjoy today's message. Praise God. Here's your phone. Glory. Good evening, everybody. Good to be in church again. Praise the Lord. The week has just gone by so fast. and We've enjoyed our fellowship with you guys and being here in this wonderful time of the year. God is a good God. Amen. Amen. And God wants you to have his best and wants you to receive from him. You know, you can be healed, delivered, set free. Uh, without anybody praying for you or ministering to you, you can do it just by the Word of God coming to you. you know, the Word of God is so powerful that it can, uh, it can just right there, you can just make a decision right where you're at. I believe I receive and you can have it right there. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 4 this evening, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your kindness and your mercy toward us, your great grace bestowed upon us in Christ, the powerful compassion you've released toward us that which we want to receive and assimilate and transmit to others to show the world that you're a good God and that you care about people and their needs. Help us to receive from you tonight, to make adjustments, to receive revelation from the Word. Our spirit man would be open to be fed the Word of God so that we might grow thereby. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you by the end of this evening when we say the last amen, we will all be able to say, it was good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Uh, one of the things that I have, I have noticed and I have uh, enjoyed over the years is the simplicity uh, there is in receiving from God. If you find it hard to receive from God, uh, there's a reason. Uh, the Gospels is an is a abs- absolute uh, documentation of the simplicity of receiving from the Word. You know, Jesus was the Word. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. John 1, 14 says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. When we began our church in February of 2002, the first series I preached, I preached it on all of the gospel stories. And we, call, we coined a phrase, we coined a phrase uh, that it went like this, if we can learn to respond to the Word of God, like the people in the Gospels responded to Jesus, we'll get the same thing because He is the Word. And that's really how easy it is. The enemy is the one that tries to complicate it. He he tries to do everything he can do to try to complicate uh, the receiving process where, where it's just not that complicated. It's really easy to receive from the Lord. It's as easy as being saved. You know, when you got saved, you receive the greatest thing you're ever going to get from God. That's the greatest miracle. You may have a, a limb grow out, out or, or get a billion dollars into your finance. No, no matter what it is, everything else you get supernaturally from God pales in comparison to your new birth. And it was so simple. All you had to do was believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. You used uh, the two components of your belief system, which is your heart and your mouth. Now you think about that. We've been given a belief system of our heart and our mouth 
Think of all the other systems that make us up in our body, our, our, our cardiovascular system, our digestive system, our, our nervous system, all of those systems. Listen, if somebody's going to work on your cardiovascular system, you don't, want a, you don't want a rookie. Amen? I mean, I've cleaned a lot of fish and deer and ducks in my lifetime, but you don't want me doing heart surgery on you. About the time I get your chest cracked open, you're probably going to expire. Amen? <laughs> You want some, and you really don't want somebody just, you know, well, this is my first surgery. You really don't want that either. You want somebody that knows what they're doing, uh, messing with the systems of your body because they are so complicated. And if God gave us a very complicated belief system, listen, there wouldn't be any of us have a chance. None of us would have a chance. But thank God he did it. He made it very simple. Then it says over in Colossians, it says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So how do you, re how do you walk in Christ? Simply by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. Everything you get from God, you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's how you do it. And, and, the, and the biggest problem is, is people use their effort, their spiritual effort, to do it for material needs and material goods, where if you will do it for your identity, your redemptive identity, your material needs and those material goods will just fall right in place. The Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So as you seek God, seek Jesus, as you're in a, I used to have a, a, a surfing poster from an old movie in the 60s, had a picture of a guy posing up on a wave, and it said, the search for self. Did you know if you go on a search for self, you will be disappointed when you find it. But if you go on a search for Christ, you will never be disappointed because the more you search out who he is, the more you find out about who you are, and I guarantee you that's going to bless your life. Amen? Now, here in Mark chapter 4, I, I, there were several directions I could go. I was praying, meditating on the Word, and, and this kept just rising up in my spirit. Uh, one of the things, I think I've, I, I probably mentioned it, when we traveled a lot, uh, the Lord spoke to me, and he, and he gave me several different things to do, but one of them was this. He said, help people uh, receive from God. And really, the teaching on how to receive from God is really simple. But really the, the teaching on what hinders us from receiving from God. Now sometimes that can get a little complicated. Because the enemy has had 6,000 years to study humanity. I believe, and I, I don't teach it as doctrine or anything, but I believe that, that, that evolution has happened, but it's happened in reverse. You say, what do you mean? It's taken 6,000 years from man, go to the, from man going from the presence of God to the animal he is today. I mean, literally sin... Sin is paying its highest dividend. The greatest wage for sin is being paid. And people are involved on, in sin on levels that are unimaginable upon this earth. It's just unimaginable what people are into, what people are doing. That is sin. And there's, listen, there are people out there, they don't want God. They don't want, they don't want to be born again. Uh, they don't want anything to do with holiness or righteousness. But thank God there is a lot of people that, 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 that are seeking. Uh, they don't even know what they're seeking. But when they find Jesus, they're going to find Exactly what they're looking for. Amen. So I'm going to do something tonight, uh, and I believe it'll help you, especially if you're in this situation. And if you're in this situation, tonight is your night of deliverance. If you're not in this situation, tonight is the night of your inoculation. You say, what do you mean? You're going to get vaccinated. Now, we're not big on vaccines. Uh, uh, you know, I think we took three of the nine they wanted to give Breland. But... You will be vaccinated tonight so that your spiritual immune system will be strong against offense. Offense is the number one thing 
that takes people out of the kingdom of God, out of the move of God, out of churches, and causes them not to receive from God. Out of offense comes anger. Out of offense comes fear. Out of offense comes confusion. A guy told me one time, he said, you know, your, your preaching really confused me tonight. I said, no, you came in confused. My preaching just turned the light on it. Amen? You just figured out you, you were confused when I started preaching. People get offended at all kinds of crazy things. Uh, I believe I also made this statement earlier. Churches like this, uh, churches like over in Illinois, our church, every church that's of this flavor or type can literally testify that the, that, that the crowd, the people, those that should be here, many of them are not here and they're not here because offense has taken them out. They've gotten offended from everything. I've, I've heard of people getting offended at paint colors, carpet, the colors of seats. One, 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 one church had a little girl come up and play a, a, a song for an offertory, put it, took her gum out, put it on the piano. Half the church got up and walked out. I mean, just crazy, crazy things that people use for an excuse to get away from God, to leave their church, to leave the reading of the Word of God, their own personal uh, 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 Bible study, their own personal uh, consecration to God. But let me just say one thing. People think, well, I, I really don't need a church. You do need a church. Uh, churches are a pre prerequisite for literally walking in the kingdom of God. Now, I know when people are first born again, there may be some transitional periods in their life in which they find a place to, uh, to, to worship, a place to fellowship. But the Bible says in Psalms 92, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Amen. So you've got to understand, you've got an adversary, you've got an enemy out there. He wants you offended. He wants you offended at each other. He wants you offended in your marriage. He wants you offended at your job. And he wants you offended in your church so that he can separate you from the blessing and the goodness of God. And if any of that's working on you right now, thank God you're going to get rid of it tonight. And the rest of us are just going to get a super shot of vitamin J that's going to help us be strong in the Lord and the power of his mind. Amen. So I began to, began to notice this phenomenon. I was away from the Lord for, for about uh, uh, for, oh, for 12 years, uh, maybe a little more than 12 years. But when I came back uh, into, the, into the kingdom of God, I began to notice this, especially two to three years into ministry, about how, how people were so transient, so fluid when it came to churches. Uh, it seems like loyalty was at a very low level. And the charismatic move kind of gave this idea of, well, you know, we'll just go anywhere, anywhere if anything's happening, any meeting, anything that's going on. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but still, when you are planted in a church, you're able to, you're able to explore and develop the specific purpose of who you are and your assignment in the kingdom of God. Everyone in here that's connected to this church tonight, you have an assignment and you have a purpose in this church. Uh, like, like Pastor said, God doesn't want spectators, He wants participants. He wants you to participate. It, it may be something as, as private and as unknown as an intercessory prayer warrior that at your own house you continually pray for the pastor and for the church. Or it may be something as visible as a praise and worship leader or an usher or someone that teaches the kids. But every one of us have a ministry within the church that is unique to the church that will help us grow. And in that ministry, you literally become the type of light you need to be to draw others into the kingdom of God. Amen. The devil knows that. He doesn't want that. So he wants you offended. So when I begin to, 
to, to see this trend in churches and see this happen, a church we were in, the, uh, I began to attend, uh, the Lord took me out of Lakewood Church, put me in a particular church, had 30 members, that's where I met my wife. Uh, when we left the church, it had 3,500 members. Uh, we were uh, very active. We, I developed the missions program, the Bible school, the ministerial uh, program of the church, and then I traveled full-time out of that church. But then we saw that in that church, how people would come and people would go, and people would come and people would go. And one of the most amazing things is people would come with great need, and once that need was let, met, it's, it's amazing how quickly they found the back door. And so we begin to uh, pray about, Lord, shut that back door. You know, many times the front doors of our church are wide open and people flow in, but our back doors are as open as the front doors. And we need to make sure those back doors get closed so we can begin to gather the harvest that God says belong to us. So as I begin to pray, I begin to study, and I begin to, I begin to observe. You know, you can, you can learn a lot just through watching, through observing. And I begin to observe. I identified three. Now, this isn't all of them, but I, I identified what I believe is the three major areas of, of, of the Christian experience, of the Christian life in which people get offended. Now, the word offense or offended is a unique word. It usually, it, 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 it means to be, uh, to be violated, uh, to be victimized, uh, to cause to stumble, or to cause to fall. Now, let me say that again. It means to violate or to victimize, to cause to stumble, or to cause to fall. Now I want you to know our whole society has a real strong, how can I say this, a real strong bend toward offense. We have multitudes of people in America that are offended. Politically offended, racially offended, economically offended, educationally offended, you name it. They've been made victims, they've been violated, they've been caused to stumble. They've been caused to fall. And I'm telling you, we've got a society that caters to that. I'm telling you, there's a thousand places to hang your hat if you're an offended person. There are people out there that will patronize you. There are people that will bring you into their clique, into their group. And they're just a bunch of bitter, offended people. And it's amazing how they look at, how they look at life from the standpoint of everything is wrong with everybody else and nothing's wrong with me. What's that? What's that nasty cheese I always use in that illustration about the guy with the mustache? Oh, what's that called? Limburger cheese. How many of you have ever smelled Limburger cheese? Is that nasty or what? So this guy was eating Limburger cheese. He's in his office, had a big old mustache. He's eating Limburger cheese, you know. And as he eats this Limburger cheese, unbeknownst to him, two or three chunks get caught in his mustache. He wipes his mouth and he heads home. And he gets to his car, he opens his door, he gets his car, he goes, man, this car stinks, man. He gets home, he's like, man, this dog stinks, you know. Man, my house stinks. My wife stinks. Man, they get up and go to church. Man, the church stinks. The pastor stinks. Everything stunk. But it really wasn't that everything stunk. It was that he had something in his mustache that was causing him to edit what he saw through the smell of that cheese. And a lot of people are like that. They go from one church to the next. to the, All the pastors are wrong. All the pastors are this. All, the pa all they want is your money. All they want is this. All they want is that. All the churches are... It's amazing how, how bitter and how twisted people can get when they get offended. So the three areas, we're going to look at them real quick. Three areas. Number one, people get offended at the Word of God. We'll see that in just a minute as we study Scripture. Secondly... And this is, this is a very unique one because if you're not careful, the enemy will trip you up in this area. 
People get offended at the way God does things. We'll expound on that so you'll understand God doesn't give you cancer. He doesn't, you know, wreck your car. We're talking about actually how God functions and operates. Thirdly, we get offended one at another. Now, now, let me just say this. You know, praise God, this isn't a mega church. You know, this is a, this is a small church. I like to call it a small growing church. Amen? So as your church continues to grow, you're going to have opportunity to get offended at people that come in. But here's the thing. People are not our problem. They're our purpose. And a congregation that gets healthy when it comes to being unoffendable will be a congregation that God can trust with more and more people. But if you're offended, that offense is literally so, it's so infectious that maybe many times what will happen is God will cause churches to stay kind of stagnant till he can purge that offense out of there so that when he brings new people in, it'll be a healthy atmosphere for them. Amen. Let's start with the word. Mark chapter 4, the word of God. Many people get offended. We'll start there in verse, let me find it here. Uh, Verse uh, 43 He said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? Actually, that's really not a good translation of that scripture. Jesus is saying this, Of all the parables that I have spoken unto you, this is the parable that I'm cutting the angle off of in which every other parable has relevance. He's actually saying this, This is the most important parable. This is the most important parable. So he says this, The sower soweth the word. Everybody say the word. Everybody say the word. One more time, say the word. The sower soweth the word. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their heart. We're not going to deal with that. But now the second one, these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Everybody say stony ground. Now notice this. Who when they have heard the word, heard the word, so faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, heard the word, They immediately receive it with gladness. But now notice verse 17. Is that 17? Yeah. Verse 17. And have no root in themselves, and so endure for a time afterward when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are victimized, violated, caused to stumble or fall or offended. Amen? Now, I think I said verse 43. I've got too many notes in my Bible. It's verse 13. That was verse 13, 14, 15, 16, verse 17. Have no root in themselves. Everybody say, have no root in themselves. Now, it didn't say they didn't have any roots in the church. It said they have no root in themselves. Now, you have to understand this principle. When your pastor gets up on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, any other meeting that he does here at the church, you are eating out of his spiritual garden. That which he's planted, that which he's reaped, that which he's proved. When when a special minister comes, you're eating out of his spiritual garden. Uh, 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 I heard another guy give an illustration. I thought it was really good. He talked about the gold rush that took place back in uh, Sutter's Mill, 1843 it began. They found gold out there. And people just emptied out of the East Coast and went to the West Coast to to seek their fortune, uh, mining gold. The majority of them never, never made a penny. Uh, they made enough, uh, they found enough gold nuts or, or enough nuggets, uh, you know, to buy some more uh, grain for their, grain for their, uh, uh, their mule, uh, some, some bullets for their shotguns, uh, you know, another pan to pan with. But for the most part, they really never did anything but survive. And they lived on the nuggets. Everybody say the nuggets. 
Ever heard somebody say, boy, I got some good nuggets out of that message. Well, that's the problem. You're a nugget Christian. But there were two families who were not satisfied with nuggets. So what they did is they actually developed many of the mining uh, things that they use today, inventions. They took the top off of a mountain and they discovered the vein of gold that was feeding all the streams of that area. And it not only changed their life, it changed the life of their family for generations to come. It made them mega wealthy. Well, you can either live by the nuggets that you get from a preacher, or you can get into this book and you can do some mining. You can grow the garden, the spiritual garden that you need to grow. The Bible literally calls us God's garden. God's husbandry is what, God, is what the Word of God calls us. You've got to make a decision to do some plowing, to do some planting, to do some weeding, to do some watering, or you're going to get offended by the demand that the Word of God puts upon you. Because that, what, that is literally what the Word of God does. It will put a demand upon your character, It'll put a demand upon your time. It'll put a, a demand upon your talent. It'll put a demand upon everything that is in your life. And one thing the Word of God will really put a demand on is your character. An old preacher told me years ago, man, it was some of the best, best uh, uh, advice I ever got. He said, God is not near as interested in your comfort as He is interested in the development of the character of Christ in your life. Many times that's all we do is seek comfort and we find some little place of comfort and what we'll do is we'll put up a wall around that comfort and try to live within that wall. But listen, your comfort of today may become the misery of tomorrow. So the word comes and it puts a demand on you just like the seed puts a demand on the ground. For years I drove, I made the drive from where we live in Galveston, if you saw it on a map, down the Texas coast, about 300 miles, to a city called Corpus Christi. A Corpus Christi actually means body of Christ in, in Spanish. And in Corpus Christi, there was probably, in the Corpus Christi area, half a dozen churches that I would preach in their camp meetings. I would hold my own revival meetings down there. So at, at different times of the spring, summer, winter, fall, didn't matter, I was always trekking down to uh, Corpus Christi at certain times of the year. Now, in between Galveston and Corp Corpus Christi is a tremendous amount of agriculture. Uh, the cattle ranchers, the cattle ranches are a little further west and south, but that fertile uh, Brazos Valley, Trinity River Valley, Colorado River Valley, man, I'm terrible. They grow cotton for miles. They grow maize for miles. They grow rice for miles. They grow, grow high gear, or, or it's, a, it's another type of grape, for miles. But when you drive by all of those fields, February into March, it's just miles and miles of dark soil. It's been disked, it's been turned over, there's no crops in the field, it just looks dead. All the leaves are off the trees, there's no, uh, uh, nothing growing in the fields. But you come back, you make that same drive in June, and I'm telling you, there's life everywhere. All those plants are up, those cotton plants are up, all of those rice fields are the most beautiful green you can imagine, and you begin to see how those seeds, when they went into the soil and put a demand on the soil, then all of a the sudden, they gave the soil what it did not have. It gave the soil life. So the seed goes in, the seed says, give me the sunlight, give me the moisture, give me your nutrients, give me any fertilizer the farmer gives, and I'll give you life. Literally, that's what the seed of the Word of God does to us. It puts a demand upon us when received correctly. You say, now how do I know when I've received the Word correctly? The Bible tells us. Persecution and affliction will arise for the Word's sake. Do you realize you live in a fallen world? 
Do you realize this world system is not geared to accommodate your faith? Let me say this again. That again. Some of you need to hear this. This world system is not geared or set up to accommodate your faith. Your faith is a violation of the fallen laws of this world. Now think about that a minute. Your faith is a violation. What you are doing is you are giving God permission through your faith to encroach into a system that is fallen with His own system or His own kingdom. Don't you think there's going to be resistance against that? Many people, when they, they get revelation from God financially, they'll get revelation financially, they'll get revelation on healing, they'll get revelation on, on uh, uh, maybe something that will make an adjustment in their marriage, they'll get revelation on uh, maybe even a subject such as offense or unforgiveness or, or whatever it may be, and immediately, once that word goes into your heart and goes through your, into your spirit, the enemy will rise up a resistance to that, just like he did to Jesus when Jesus was baptized of John, he came up out of the water, and, and the Lord Lord spoke to him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And in that desert or wilderness experience, there was a constant bombardment and resistance against the word that was spoken to him. If thou be the son of God, if thou be the son of God, just like it is against you, if you be healed or if you be prosperous or if you be this or if you be that, that's where you have to bring that resistance against the resistance. That's why it says, uh, submit yourself therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee or run and start terror from you. Amen? So understand when that affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake it is an opportunity for offense to get into your life. I guess that was one of the biggest catchphrases of people that got offended in the 90's. There was a great move of the revelation and demonstration of prosperity. And I'm, I'm, I tell you, there's people that got into the ditch with it, did all kinds of goofy stuff with it. But there was practical, practical, applicable revelation from the Word of God that actually changed the way we viewed finances. Tithing, offering, speaking the Word of God, sowing and reaping. And there were a lot of people that they stepped into that, they were excited that, hey, I might be able to, you know, to get more than just what I make as a, at an hourly, hourly wage or what I make in my business. There might be something supernatural that can be added to my life financially and I might can increase financially supernaturally. So they go to these financial seminars, these, these, these meetings, and, and they would sow and they would give big money. Next thing you know, there would come an enormous attack against their finances. Enormous attack. I know many of the larger ministries that we were familiar with, uh, that we knew, you know, the people that sat at the top of it, they told us that the, their constant intercession in prayer was over those that gave to the ministry because they knew once people gave to the ministry, the enemy was going to come and try them out. Lee and I experienced that in our own ministry. We spent hours praying over our partners, praying over their finances, praying over their businesses, praying over everything about them financially because we know if they are stepping out and obeying the Word, not some sensational request, but just obeying the Word of God in their tithing, in their offering, in their giving, we knew the enemy is fixing to come against their finances. Same thing with healing. We've seen that several times. Where once you had hands laid on you, and I've seen people stand in the altar and feel the anointing. And the symptoms leave. And by the time they get in their car, the symptoms are back twice as bad as they were when they got prayed for. 
What is that? That is the enemy attacking the word. I've seen people with faith for forgiveness go out and begin to forgive people and make adjustments. Next thing you know, 15 dramas arise up in their life. Amen? You've got to make a decision whether you're going to live in offense or whether you're going to live in victory. You need to make a decision. Lord, put a demand on me. Everything that you want me to do, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to yield to that which you say in your word. And in so doing, I'm going to enjoy the benefits of your life and your power as it flows from your word. And I am not going to get offended when the enemy attacks. I'm going to be just like Jesus. I'm going to say, devil, it is written. And with all the resistance he brings against me, I'm going to double that and bring it back against him. I'm going to stay on the offensive. I'm not going to go on the defense. And I'm not going to get offended. Now, go to Matthew Matthew chapter 11. This one I studied, I studied for a while before I really began to minister this and then I began to see some illustrations of it, some things that happened. Chapter 11 of the gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse 1. Now notice this. It came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, now this is not John the beloved, this is John the Baptist. Amen? Amen. I say amen. John the Baptist, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now notice very closely, verse 6. And blessed or empowered is he whosoever shall not be offended, offended in me. Now this is an offense that comes because of the activity of God and your preconceived ideas about how he may do something in your life. When they come into conflict, a lot of times people get offended. Now, who's he, who's, who's he using for the illustration? John the Baptist. And we know who John the Baptist was. He, was. he was prophesied. His life was foretold by Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ye, the, make ye path straight. Make, make the way of the Lord straight. The Bible says, Then came out to him, 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 Jerusalem, Judea, and all the region round about, and were baptized in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Read that in Matthew chapter 3. Amen? So, as long as he's living within the perimeters of the Word of God, and he's living where? Does anybody know? In the wilderness. In the wilderness. Because he's what? He's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. As long as he is living in the wilderness, he's protected, he's safe, he has provision, he has a divine flow, his ministry's growing, people are coming out of religion, they're coming out of tradition, they're coming out to him, and man, I'm telling you, he's having a great time. But now notice this. It says, now when John, verse 2, now when John had heard in the prison. Now if you go study where this particular prison was, this prison was in Jerusalem. He's in a prison in Jerusalem. Now, here's my question to John. John, what are you doing in the prison in Jerusalem? 
We can say it like this. He's out of his place. Now one of the problems with what we call word of faith, charismatic, Pentecostal, I don't know, however you want to label it, is people do not value their place. And a lack of value of your place will make you extremely vulnerable to offense. The Bible says of the children of Israel, that generation that didn't believe God that would not go into the promised land, they had all died and it was time for them to cross over into the promised land and possess it. Joshua chapter 5 talks about all that went on, how, how circumcision took place, and this took place, and that took place. The manna stopped. Uh, they began to eat of the corn of the land. God was qualifying them for seed time and harvest. The group that was out in the wilderness were never qualified for seed time. You know what they were qualified for? They were qualified to live on miracles. Doesn't that sound great? How many of you like to live on miracles? No, you do not want to live on miracles. That is not the will of God for your life. You want to live on the blessing of God so that you might be a blessing to others. Miracles are consumed with the need. Blessing will take care of the need and have some left over. And God wants you to live by blessing. But before they went into that promised land, this is what the Bible says. It says they abode in their place in the camp till they were whole. There is a place in the camp for every believer to abide and receive not just healing, not just prosperity, but wholeness. The, all of the assembly of parts of life put back together, not the way it was before you had the problem, the way it was before Adam fell in the garden. Well, the devil wants you out of the church. He wants you out of the church. He wants you offended at the pastor. He wants you offended at what's preached. He wants you offended at the color of the chairs, at the songs that are sung, on the height of the roof. You name it, he wants you upset, mad, and offended. But then when it comes to Jesus, his activity, the manifestation of his word, God, what he, do, what he does, and the manifestation of the Holy Ghost, you cannot figure out in your mind how God's going to do something. It is amazing how God does things. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> You've got to let God be God. Now listen to me. You may not think this right now, but if, you, if you'll think on it a little bit, it'll, it'll register. The greatest deliverance of your life is not deliverance from some dreaded disease, some financial problem, some drug or alcohol. The greatest deliverance of your life is the day you get delivered from being God. Now you may laugh or chuckle, but that's really what it is. You say, what do you mean by that? You call the shots, you make the decisions, you do all in your life. You say, well, I don't have the right to. You have the right to do that. You can take your privilege and do that, but you watch where it leads you. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And let me tell you, there's one who wants to call the shots in your life and it ain't you. Like that. They get offended at the way God chooses to do things. Amen. Now here's, here's John the Baptist. He's, for lack of a better explanation, he's in jail. He's in jail for preaching the wrong message to the wrong person at the wrong time. It wasn't the will of God that John be beheaded. God's not into stealing, killing, and destroying. 
I believe it was the will of God for John to, to just be whoever John was as long as Jesus was on the earth and then right after that uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for John to be right there in the upper room and to transition from an Old Testament prophet right into the office of a New Testament prophet. Amen? That's not what happened. He lost his life. Now, scripturally, we can't really dig in and say, well, that's it, that's specific. But think about it now for a moment. Think about it. He's offended. He's offended. It says here, blessed are those who shall not be offended in me. He's in jail. He left the wilderness. When he left the wilderness, he got out of his place. When he got out of his place, it cost him his life. We've dealt with people. I mean, with tears in our eyes. So offended. Out of their place. One particular one sat on our couch. Uh, the church was, what, three or four years old. Dying. 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 And they could not find anything wrong with them. Undiagnosed and dying. And we knew what they'd been through. And I, we looked them in the eye and said, can you be healed? Can you, be, can you get this offense out of you, this bitterness out of you? They looked us in the eye and said, I can't. And I looked them in the eye and said, then you'll die. And they said, I know it. And they died. I mean, that's how serious it is. That's how serious it is. Some things had happened. Some things had transpired. Some things had gone on. It caused a lot of bitterness, pain, hurt, offense. But instead of being healed of that, they just continued to feed on that till that, till that offense mastated into bitterness and that unforgiveness mastated into the place where they became disobedient and they stepped out of the will of God, out of their place, and into the bondage and into the prison of that which the enemy had designed for them. It cost them their life. Now, John's question also gives us revelation. Are you he that should come, or should we wait for another? I mean, I, I want to say, now, wait a minute, John. Aren't you the one that, that, that pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away? Aren't you the one that said, I'm not, I'm not worthy to, to tie his shoe latchet? There's one coming after me. I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me who shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Wasn't that you telling us that? But see, when you get out of your place and you get offended at the way God chooses to do things in your life, the very first thing you do is you begin to question the revelation that gives you your identity. How many people, I don't believe in that faith message no more. I tried that, it didn't work. I don't believe in that prosperity preacher. That prosperity preacher, them preachers, they're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to feather their nest. They're just trying to pad their bank accounts. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, they're slick as they can be. Amen? They question the right. No, three years before, everything's coming out of their mouth. It was faith and healing. and They had their faith books and their notebooks and they were going to meetings. But now, no, no, no. No, we don't believe in that anymore. Listen, that's why you've got to be careful what you listen to, what you read, how you embrace what you're... There was a book way back in the late 80s. I saw some guys that I thought were some of the most solid faith guys I ever knew. Rainbow graduates, people that I knew that had been taught faith, that had used faith, that had built ministries with faith and read one book and got offended and threw all that down and become so militant against faith that they would show up at big conferences and protest. Absolutely. Offended. Got out of their place. None of them have done anything in the kingdom. Nothing. John, come on, dude. Aren't you the one that told us? Behold the Lamb of God. Aren't you the one that said, look at that dove falling out of heaven. What is that falling on this man? 
Now, he's in the prison. Question. My take, just my take, I'm sure someone might have another one. Could it be that John was offended because Jesus didn't choose him as a disciple? I mean, he could have thought, hey man, you know, Jesus, he's my cousin. I mean, we could, we could, uh, second cousin, well, he's second cousin. He said, we should be preaching meetings together. Uh, why, did he, why did he go over to that fishing village in Galilee and choose those grimy fishermen, those commercial fishermen? What about that? Ta- he walked right past me and chose a tax collector. See what I'm saying? The will of God for John to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus would have made him one. But he got offended. Listen, it doesn't matter. When you pray and you believe you receive, you have to release your faith to the point that you're willing to trust God not only in what he's going to give you, but how he's going to give it to you. If you're not willing to do that, then you have no business praying or asking. Because God is God, and let me tell you how he's going to do everything he does. Exactly the way he wants. And it's been a fascinating adventure in Leah and I's life to watch how God does things. Let me tell you, every area in your life, God wants to do things in such a way that it maximizes the potential of His glory in your life so that when you receive from God, not only you, but everyone around you goes like this. That's God. Now that's God. God delights in that. He gets glory out of that. You get a wonderful testimony out of that. And we get the benefit, and it becomes part of our witness and our testimony. The sad thing is, some of the people that have the greatest revelation of faith get most of them. Amen? You've got to look into your own life. You've got, to, you've got to be specific enough with how you're praying and what you're praying to realize and recognize that as you pray, you believe you receive and you shall have. That is a process. As you live within the confines of that process, worshiping God, worshiping God every day, thanking God every day, praising God every day for what you believe you receive, you have to pull the restraint back and let God be God. <laughs> I got so many stories I could tell. Leah had left her business, our first home that we built. Galveston has a lot of old homes that were built around 1900, 18, 1870s into 1920. And there was a big building renaissance and all these dif- 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 uh, different uh, ethnic groups brought their architectural uh, uh, prowess to Galveston Island. You had, you had neighborhoods that the Italians built. They used that. You had neighborhoods that the, uh, that the, the Greek, Greeks, people from Spain, Maria and the people from Spain. You had all these different influences. They built all these beautiful, we call them historical homes. There's historical homes all over the island. So God had blessed us with one. It was a, it was a, it was a crack house. And, and basically, five people owned it. It was a big knot. And God supernaturally took all of that apart, helped us restore that house, and we lived in this beautiful little Queen Anne historical home. It was built in 1898. 
that had survived the 1900 storm. But when Leah left her business, I was praying and the Lord said, I'm going to reward your wife with a house. At that time, we weren't really looking for a house. We just, so I told her. So we began to look. And we looked and looked, and, and there was a doctor on the island that, that, that we were familiar with. He was selling a beautiful historical home, and we felt like that might be it. And so he just had us come over without a real estate agent, and we looked at it. We looked at it, you know, and, man, it was just awesome. When we walked out the door, the Lord spoke to me and said, that's not your house. So I had to tell Leah that, and the next day I got on an airplane and was gone for, what, 16 days to Europe. So, I, you know, I told her, I said, look, sweetie, Line up all the historical homes you want. Get like 10 of them. When I get home, we'll go look at, look, look at them and we'll find uh, the one that God has for us. So she lined them up from the most expensive to the least expensive and the real estate agent was taking us to the most expensive one first. Beautiful craftsman home built in 1914 by a doctor. Built like a fort. 22 beautiful palm trees most of them over 75 years old. I mean, just this awesome, built on two us, this awesome, awesome, big fence around it, everything you'd want, house in the back, garages, everything you'd want. Most expensive. I walk in the door, I step into the foyer, the Holy Ghost says, this is your house. So we're walking out after looking at it, I told Leah, I just reached out this is the house. I said, I'm sure. So when we asked the price, there was no way we could afford it. There was no way. We did not have the money to buy that house. They asked a price that was way beyond. Now, immediately we began to pray. We began to seek God. This is the most amazing. This is why you need to walk with God. You need to serve God because this is how God operates. He gave us a specific plan, so specific, he told us exactly how much money to offer. He told us exactly when to increase the offer. And he told us by how much to increase it every time till we got to a certain point and then to stop there and not offer anymore. So when we made the first offer, the real estate agent said this to us, I will not present this offer to the owners. It is an insult. In which I said, there's plenty of real estate agents on this island who will. So they, they presented this offer, and I could tell when we got it back, they came, came off, what, $2,500 or something like that. And then we went up a, a little bit more. They came back. We went up a little more. They came back, and we were still $100,000 or $120,000 apart. And the Lord spoke to me and said, on the last day, your last offer, you make that offer at 445 in the afternoon. Their office closed at 5. Did you make it at 445 in the afternoon, then you just wait. But 4.45, we made the last offer. We said, this is it. We won't offer anymore. That was on Friday afternoon. Monday morning, 9 o'clock, phone rang. Amen. And God supernaturally, beyond our imagination, arranged everything we needed from 20% down payment, financing it 15 years, got real everything that we needed, including money to continue the restoration. We walked into that house. If we'd have done it our way, we would have never got that. But we had to follow him. Step by step by step by step step by step. That's it. We can talk about buying houses. We can talk about receiving healing. We can talk about all these different things where God gave us specific instruction. 
said, you do it like this, you do it like this, you do it like this. And then the outcome was so mind-blowing that we watched him literally do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us and that is that power of faith but it's also the ability not to be offended at the way he chooses to do things. Amen? I was a single evangelist traveling and every pastor and their wife knows somebody in their church So you know, I was, I was, I was, I was praying, believing God for a wife, but I wasn't looking for somebody to date. So I, I, I met Leah in an intercessory prayer meeting at a little church that had thirty people, and you know, didn't beautiful little Cajun girl. Didn't think much about it. I mean, you know, she had already, through a word given her when she got saved, knew that she was going to marry a minister, a preacher. When I walked into the church, I, 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 was, uh, I met the pastor. He and I were teaching together in a prayer conference. He, he invited me over to preach at his church. It was in a funeral home. There were 30 people there. I preached. I left. I went home and thought, thank God that's over. God spoke to me in prayer the next day and said, I want you to leave the big mega church, the church that's reaching the world. I want you to go down and join that church with 30 people. I said, devil, I bind you in the name of Jesus. You're a lying spirit from hell. I will not receive that in Jesus' name. You can't get offended the way God does that. And so you know when you're, when you're disobeying God, you know what I mean? It's your, 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 your spirit's twisted in a knot and you're just like, oh, you know. And so I went, I, I, I went, joined the church and the day I joined the church, the pastor had me come up. He said, we got Brother Rusty Martin here. I'm, I met him in a, in a prayer conference, and he's come. He's, he, he feels like the Lord would have him uh, come to the church and operate his ministry out here, so we're going to welcome him, and he was going to pray over him. When I walked up and walked past, she was sitting on the front row doing the words on the, on the wall, you know, off the wall, church, when you sing off the wall. Anyway, when I walked up there, an audible voice spoke to her and said, that's your husband. She turned around and said, so she knew. I didn't know nothing. So as, the, as this was in 1985. This would have been in the fall of 1985. So I was traveling, going back and forth, traveling, coming to the services. And, you know, she was always there, just part of the group of people that were there. And so time went on, and, and, and Valentine's Day, 1986, rolled around. And I'm praying. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Send Leah a rose in a bud vase for Valentine's Day. And I said, why? I did. I said, I said, why do you want me to do that for, you know? He said it to me again. Send Leah a, 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 a rose in a bud, a, a bud, a rose in a, in a bud vase for Valentine's Day. So I went down to the, to the, to the flower store and I bought one little rose and, and I, I got a card, and I, what did I put on the card? From your friend, from your friend Rusty, Rusty Martin. And I had it sent to her. But see, I did not know that that very morning she had got up, she had gone into her office, she had shut and locked the door, she had got on her knees, she began to cry out to God and say, God, you spoke to me and said that that was my husband and he ain't hardly looked toward me in four months. He hadn't said nothing to me and they're coming knock on the door 
and they're standing there with a rose and a bud vase that I'd seen. <laughs> well, just the fact that God had me do that stirred my imagination. I began to look a little closer. Amen. And sure enough, I think our, our first couple of dates, I think I took you to an alumni banquet at the Bible school in Lakewood and a preacher to preach in a, 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 an Assembly of God church in Houston. And so we were just kind of fellowshipping, kind of hanging out. And, and you know, I thought, I thought, you know, this is, I better do something about this because if it is God, I'm going to have to figure out how it's going to happen. And if, if it's not God, I don't need to be going this direction with this young woman. And so, I fasted and prayed for 30 days. I didn't go on a 30-day fast. During that 30 days, I would take three days and fast, and I'd eat something, and I'd fast. And I didn't even look her way. I didn't even look her way. And so after that 30 days, I prayed. I said, Lord... Take this out of me, which I was feeling physically, physical chemistry, or you take and put supernatural love in my heart for her. And that's what he did. But still, I was so tempted. See, you gotta, you got to flow with God. Do things the way God wants you to do. And so we had a, a, a friend of hers was getting married and, and things were going on at the church. We were moving into another building, a little storefront. Uh, I was traveling more. So I came to her one night during a prayer meeting and I said, you know, maybe we ought to just cool it for a little bit and, and we, you know, just, just kind of take our time. I think things are kind of moving too fast. And, uh, and she disappeared. And all of the ladies of the church disappeared. They were in the back binding the devil off of me. So I went home that night. I went home that night and walked into my bedroom and shut the door, and let me tell you something. It was not the Holy Ghost. It was not our Savior. It was God in the room. And these are the words that he spoke to. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He said this to me. How dare you? I mean, when God says that to you, it shakes every molecule of your body. He said, how dare you reject the provision of your life that I have destined for you. I didn't even hardly sleep. I just watched the clock because I knew she would be walking into her office at 9 o'clock the next morning. She walked in the office at 9 o'clock the next morning. Her phone was ringing. I said, Leah, would you like to go dinner tonight? Sure. I got in my old pickup and I drove over there. I picked her up, and we didn't get across the train tracks. And I said, Leah, would you like to get married? She looked at me with fire in her eyes, and she said this, It's about time. The rest is history. I had to let God be God. That's how God does things. I didn't... <laughs> Any area of life. We've, it's been financial. I, I don't want to get into all the stories because it is amazing. Let me tell you, when you pray a prayer and you believe God, you can be a young person believing God for a mate, believing God for education in college. You can be, we're watching Breland now. We, we love watching Breland because she's praying and praying over her. God's doing some things in her life.
life and God's Breland is our daughter God is stirring her and she's working with the kids at church and going to college doing all this kind of stuff but it's amazing to watch her go through these processes because we can't violate it because it's between her and God but it's amazing to watch it happen and if you will be be what God wants you to be God didn't say we were the we were the elk of his pasture or the or the or the or the white-tailed deer or even a, even the Canadian we're the sheep sheep my goodness the most vulnerable weak animals in the world he said you are the sheep of my pasture and like I said earlier the biggest deliverance of your life is the day you get delivered from being God and you let God be God so don't get offended the way God does closing on that point he doesn't steal doesn't kill doesn't destroy and he doesn't use negative dramas of life to teach you last one Go to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. Now this is offense that you pick up toward people that you're called to fellowship with. Now let me say something. For everyone in here, I'll tell you this. For everyone in here, I don't like you. Now let me ask you a question. How can I? There's no way I can like you. I don't know you. I love you. I love you enough to leave my home, fly down here for five days and preach twice a day, to study and pray to figure out exactly it is what God wants you to have. I love you enough to, to live a righteous and holy life so the Spirit of God could move through me and maybe minister something to you and, and help get, get a need met. I love you. I love you unconditionally with the same kind of love that God loves you with. But I don't like you because I don't know you. And the problem we have in churches is we try to get people to like us. We want everybody in church to like everybody else. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. The mentality that we have in interaction one with another usually finds its peak. Now, now, really there's nothing biblical we can add to that because it's not something that's unique to biblical times, something that's unique to our times and, 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 the, and the psychologists and the social engineers of our era, and I've studied this, have come to this conclusion. Our social development ends at about the 12th grade, the senior year of high school. The maximum amount of freedom you'll ever have without responsibility. And in high school, what do you do? You're, you're, you're freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. You hang around people you like. Amen. In our high school, all the surfers hung around together, all the cowboys hung around together, all the beboppers, all the hip hoppers. Everybody, everybody was in cliques and groups. Amen. And there was very little encroachment in the cliques and groups because what you do is you surround yourself with people like you because that helps vindicate you. Someone else like me, there's somebody else like me listens to the same music I listen to, enjoys the same things. So you're, 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 you're vindicated, you're, you're affirmed by who you like, who you hang around with, and, and, and liking is a, is a type of fellowship in what you interact, but it has no strength to it because you'll find out 
50 years after your, after your high school graduation, you haven't kept much fellowship with But people will come in on a walker to their 75th high school reunion. It's the most popular social event in America, the high school reunion. Only three of them left, you know, out of the class of 1937. And what they're doing is they're, they're coming or they're gathering back together to do what? To reaffirm one another. The, the, the 75 years of being apart melt away. They're playing the same old music they did at the prom. Everybody's out there shaking and shuffling on their walkers. And you fall right back for an evening. You fall right back into the attitude that you had when you graduated. As you look around the room, all the little cliques have gathered together. How powerful. Then you come to church, and what do you do? You expect the same thing. You look for people like you. That affirms you. Problem is, you've not been called to like anybody in the kingdom. Called to love. Like, liking people is not an effort. That's not an effort at all. You meet somebody, their personality, you like their personality. You like how they how they talk, the stories they tell, you, you, you like who they are. That's, there's no effort in that. But in the love that God has called you to walk in, and I've coined this phrase myself, the divine love of God operating through you is your greatest effort. It's even a greater effort than faith. And the thing about being offended at other people is this. Whenever you are fixing to flow into a faith challenge or a drama or a crisis in your life and God knows they're going to need some fuel in their faith because faith worketh by love. Faith is the fuel that causes work to, I mean, love is the fuel that causes faith to operate. God will make sure you have an opportunity to love someone. Say, what do you mean by opportunity? Love someone. Someone can rub your fur the wrong way. Have an opportunity. Love, the type of love, we're not talking about a new puppy, a new car, a husband or wife, a new child. We're talking about the agape of love that is not connected to your body or any satisfaction. It is an act out of obedience Amen I begin to see and be a part of great blessing the breaking, breaking of racial barriers Texas, little Texas towns of anywhere from 6,000 to 15 or 20,000 I begin to go into churches all white and say this, you'll never have revival unless you have black people and Hispanic people and Asian people. Because there's not one but one color in the kingdom. There's no black, there is no white, there is no Hispanic, there is no Asian. There's only and I begin to see these churches as, 
they would begin to love. They'd begin to love the black community. They'd begin to love the Hispanic community. They'd begin to love the Asian community. Our church has a tremendous uh, blend, and that's very unique for Galveston because Galveston is a very, very prejudicial city. But we have a beautiful blend of all of the different races of people because literally you cannot have a loving church without loving everyone that's in the community. Amen? I preached in a church in Mississippi. I'm trying to remember, remember the name of the town. Cleveland? Is it Cleveland, Mississippi? It's, it's where Old Miss University is. And, and this, this pastor heard me in a, in a conference, ministerial conference of a of a of a of a group of group of ministers, pretty good sized group of ministers. that's predominantly uh, 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 African American, a uh, uh, black, and boy, they just loved me. I'd come in here and preach. So this guy invited me to his church, and they ran an ad in the paper of this white boy going to this black church. Brother, that town is uproar. And so I went in there, and man, we had. <clears throat> we had a Holy Ghost and I challenged that pastor because I mean this is, this is central Mississippi I challenged that pastor because he's like Brother Rusty I'm I heard you talk about breaking the racial barrier and, and man we've, we've reached out we've tried I said you're going to have to love them you're going to have to love them you have to walk in love you have to walk in love and I'm telling you to this day that pastor has been a, been a, been a forerunner of breaking racial barriers in those towns in Mississippi by just going in and embracing people that you would have never thought that you needed to embrace and just loving them. That's it, period. Just loving them. Because when you love someone, you give them value. When you love someone, you give them purpose. That's exactly what God did with, for you in Christ. No matter how you may feel about yourself today, God feels a whole lot better. He values you. You know the, the, the parable of the pearl of great price. I heard that preached for years about the pearl of great price, uh, the treasure that's it. You know, it's not Jesus that's the pearl of great price. It's you. You are the pearl of great price. You are what God gave everything for so that he might buy the field and reap you. You're the pearl of great price. You're the treasure hidden in the field. So at Island Church, we say it like this. Every white person needs a black friend. Every black person needs a white friend. And everyone needs a Mexican friend. All the Mexicans always shout when we do that. Amen. And we work on loving one another. Because we know if we don't get offended at the word, if we don't get offended the way Jesus does things, then many times the enemy tries to encroach into our fellowship in order to divide us. Division in the church, that's the will of the enemy. Divorce in the family, that's the will of the enemy. The two divine institutions on planet earth are marriage. The only thing the family was, the human family was allowed to bring out of the garden was what? Marriage. The devil hates it. Hates it. He wants every marriage ended in a divorce. He wants every church divided. That's what will happen if we don't walk in love. Now, oh my goodness, 1 Corinthians 13. Let's go to the Amplified, and I like it, I like it, beginning there in, uh, find it here. I like it beginning there in verse, in verse 4. Now, remember this, as we're teaching this last part, as I close with this, what I'm saying by the Word of God 
is nothing you will ever feel like doing. Did you get, did you get that? You're not ever going to get muster on emotion and say, oh, that's what I, no, it's not, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to make a decision to do it. When I came back from the Lord, I had to learn to love. I was mean as a snake. I mean, I was as, I was, when I was, when I was a teenager, uh, 14, 15, 14, 15, 16, 17, I got into rodeo. I started riding bulls. I got pretty good at it. When I came back to the Lord, I still didn't want to preach. God called me to preach when I was 17. I said, no, nah, I ain't preaching when I, I ain't going to be a preacher. My dad was a lawyer to preacher, so I hated lawyers and I hated preachers. So when I came back to the Lord, I was 28. I thought, I'm going to go back into rodeo. So I went to Henrietta, Oklahoma. I went to Jim Shoulders bull riding school. Jim Shoulders, well, anybody ever heard of Jim Shoulders? He was a guy, remember the, uh, the, the big bull Buford, the Miller Lite commercials? That's Jim Shoulders. He won 29 world championships, bareback saddle bronc bull riding. As a, as a, he's a man's man. A real John Wayne, not, not the actor. So I went to his bull riding school. You got on 10 bulls a day for five days. School of hard knocks for sure. In the meantime, at night, I was going up to a, to a prayer meeting or a prayer conference at a place called Rama. Bull riding crew. Still didn't want to preach. I've been delivered from drug addiction, all that kind of stuff. Still didn't want to preach. So I went home and I started looking at open show rodeos. I wanted to uh, go through the process of beginning to gather money to get a, a, a permit to go into the PRCA, Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, which I was going to do when I was 18 years old, but I knew I didn't have the character. Now that I'm 28, I did good at rodeo school. I entered the Laporte, the Laporte. County Fair, LaPorte, Texas County Fair and Rodeo, and I entered the Gillies Rodeo. Gillies at that time. Everybody remember Gillies from, what was the, the movie? Urban Cowboy. Well, Gillies back then had a big rodeo arena and had every Thursday night had a big rodeo. So I was going to start at Gillies, and then the next, the, the Gillies was on, a, was on a Tuesday night, and then Thursday night the rodeo in LaPorte began. And so I drove up to the, the Gillies, up to the arena. Cars parked there. I noticed there wasn't, any, there wasn't any stock in the pen. No bulls, no horses, no calves for nothing. And I, and I, felt, I thought that was kind of strange, so I drove up there, and some cowboys, about three of them, were sitting on a, on a fence right there, and I reached up and said, hey, what's up? They said, you know, the strangest thing. Strangest thing. He said, they called and canceled the rodeo. So I turned around and driving home. The next morning I got up and I called the office of the Laporte, the city of Laporte's, uh, 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 county fair, uh, the rodeo office to find out which night I would be up in the bull riding because you know you you're, you're, it, was, it was two go arounds and a final. So if you had one of the highest scores in one of the go, go arounds, you went to the finals on Sunday afternoon. So I wanted to know am I am I riding on Friday night or am I riding on Saturday night? So I call him up. A uh, lady answers the phone. I said I'm I'm Rusty Martin. I sent in my entry to, uh, uh, to the bull riding. I want to find out am I up on am I up on Friday night or am I up on Saturday? Night? I'll never forget what she said. No, Mr. Martin is a stranger. She said, we had everything planned for the county fair and rodeo this year, and at the last minute, we canceled. So I hung up the phone. God spoke. I'll cancel every rodeo. 
until you obey. You know what that was? That was God loving me to help get me into a place of obedience. Now notice what it says. Verse, verse 4, Amplified Bible. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Well, I don't know how long I've got to put up with that idiot. Well, I love him. I want to kill him. Love endures long. Look how long God put up with you and how long he's still putting up with some of you. He endures long and is patient. Remember we studied patience the other night. Cheerful endurance with consistency and I, I preached in a church in, in Houston, and I walked. I was walking out, and a little old lady was standing at the door. She said, "So you're Rusty Martin?" I said, "Yeah." She said, "I went to church with you at the Goodwins Church." I said, "You did? That's that's sweet. She said, "You were the meanest little kid I ever knew in my life." <laughs> Love endures long. And is patient and kind. It's never envious, nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful, vainglorious. Does not display itself haughtily. Is not conceited, arrogant, or inflated with pride. Is not rude or unmannerly. Does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. And we see this all the time among Christians. My church is bigger than your church. My church is bigger than yours. My pastor preached better than your pastor. My pastor better. Love is not like that. You will find out. You will find out that your loved ones that are unsaved are not reachable by you preaching to them and giving them Kenneth Hagin books and giving them Benny Hinn tapes. It will not work. All they know is every time they see you at Christmas time or at Thanksgiving, you talk down to them. I heard one lady, she was testifying, she was up there. She was, when I go home and see my loved ones, I go in the bathroom and I roll tracks up in the toilet paper. I thought to myself, I know where those tracks end up. You gotta love them. I'm, when I married Leah, Leah's, Leah's family is a South Louisiana, Cajun, big Cajun, uh, strong French Catholic family. And when I walked into that thing, the first time I went with her, we were still dating, we were engaged to be married, and so we went. And, and, and Dad Magnuson, he's a World War II veteran, he's in heaven now, thank God. And his, her brother-in-law Peter, brother-in-law Peter, they were drinking buddies, and they knew how to knock it back. They've been doing it for years. Had a lot of practice. Here comes Leah dragging in this preacher. Amen. And so I knew right off the bat, I'm going to have to love these people. I'm going to have to love these people. I can't go in there preach to them. I can't go in there and give them all kind of books. So I just, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go and, and I'd, I'd have some, 
some ducks I'd killed and I'd bring them ducks. They love ducks. I'd bring some fish that I'd caught. I'd just love on them and love on them and love on them and pray for them. Within five years, just through prayer, broke that alcoholism off of Dad Megason, when he was about, what, 75, 76, he had a physical, a physical thing that happened to him. And as we were walking out the door from a visit one time, they stopped us. Doctors had said, gave him a, uh, basically a death report. And right there, we were able to pray with him and lead him to the Lord. And he lived to be, what, 82, 83, something like that. God healed his body and blessed him with more years of life. I never preached the first time. Died, he told him, you let Rusty preach my funeral. And I stood in the Catholic Church of Abbeville, Louisiana, and I preached that funeral. And as soon as I finished, the first person that came to me and said, that's one of the best messages I've ever heard was the Catholic priest. Love never boils over. Not puffed up. Not vainglory. You don't, you don't put yourself out as better than you Actually, you humble On slave. He's put his all through your ear. God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way. We're the worst at that. We're territorial. We sit in the same place in the church. I see. God, I paid for it. You come in on a Sunday morning, somebody's sitting there. You're like, who's sitting in my seat? Who's in my chair? Somebody go get an usher and get them out. You don't know that that person came, God sent them, God's going to heal them of cancer, save him, save his wife, save his family, and they're going to take and build a new building back on that land back there. You don't think like that. You don't insist on your own rights. You're not self-seeking. That's an effort. It was hard for me. Listen, when the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go build the local church, I began to build these local churches and these churches would explode and millions of dollars would begin to flow in. And all these pastors were on their own TV, they're doing this, they're doing that. And our ministry is just kind of bumping along, going from city to city, church to church. And I'm like, God, what's going on here? And the Lord spoke to me and said, that is what I've called you to do. You continue to do that, you walk in love, and you do not let the success of other people affect you or cause you to be jealous Listen, so many people get offended. This is why. They judge God by who receives what or who does not receive what. Or they judge God by other people. You cannot judge God by your pastor, by your favorite evangelist, by the people that sit on the right or left. You've got to judge God by his word. And you cannot judge God by answered or unanswered prayer because there may be things that God is working out in your life that's going to take a little time. Last one, last one, I promise. Does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. Now here we go. Love, or God's love in us, is not touchy or fretful or resentful. Touchy. Touchy people. Well, I'm telling you, people are touchy right now. Put your mask on. They're not six feet apart. I mean, they're touchy. Because you've, you, you've blended in 
to the everyday drama of life, the component of death. That's why people are touchy. And they're getting more and more touchy. But love is not touchy. Now notice this. Touchy is in the present. You can tell when people are touchy about certain subjects. You get up and teach on money and somebody going through bankruptcy or something. You can tell. They're touchy. You preach on marriage and, you know, there sits Bob Jones over there and he's had five divorces. He's pretty touchy about it. Touchy is in the present. It is an indication that there is a sensitivity in your life and the sensitivity of, that li- of your life is because of resentment. Things that have happened to you in the past formed your personality. carry the scar. One of the greatest illustrations of God's desire for wholeness is the ten lepers. One of them returned. All, all ten of them were healed and cleansed, but one of them was laid down. Which means if we could have them here for a conference on healing and wholeness, nine of them would get up and teach on healing and cleansing. But one of them would get up and say, well, you know, you can tell they used to be lepers because still they bear the scars of their lepers. not the will of God for you just to be clean and pure. There are things that have happened in all of our past. Living, living with resentment is like living with rattlesnakes. I have rattlesnakes in Indiana. We've got these rattlesnakes that take Seven, eight foot rattlesnake this big around. He's been eating rabbits for 15 years. That is a mean load of scooter right got a big old triangle head. He got two, two teeth in the front. I, I got big old boots I wear when I, when I deer hunt that are snake proof because those things are so strong. Living with resentment. He can strike and inject that poison into your life at any time and it controls you from your past you are controlled. That's why you are touching the present and you are fretful of the future because you're afraid that the weakness I've seen it happen to ministers. Pastors that have been beat up and, and bruised and have lived in pain. We've ministered to missionaries who, who, who have labored on the mission field and just basically in obscurity. Uh, we've seen people that have, that have gone from church to church to church. It seems like every time they go to a church, they get into some kind of a drama. They're so, they're so resentful. They're so touchy. They're so fretful. What a miserable way to live. What a miserable way to live. Watch my mom and dad. For years, I have a, a sister, a younger sister and a brother. I'm the oldest in our family. There was a time in which all three of us were backslidden away from God. Drugs, mean lifestyles, hate, you name it. Jail, all kinds of stuff. I mean, there was a lot to be resisted. My sister was the first one to come back to the Lord. She ended up on the mission field with youth with the actually the first, the inaugural trip that they took. He came home and a, and, a, and a Thanksgiving conference, this would have been about 1978, 79. Thanksgiving conference was taking place at Lakewood Church. They used to run their conferences from Sunday to Sunday. They had ever, you know, well-known charismatics. They had Brother Hagen in the afternoon. They had Teal Osborne, R.W. Schambach. They had Charles Capps. They had Kenneth Copeland. And they would just, you know, had this week-long feast of the presence in the Word of God. So on a, on a Saturday morning, I get up 
from the Friday night festivities. I used to listen to my dad give his testimony. Old gospel businessman uh, meetings. He would say, you know, we never worried about our kids running with the wrong crowd. They were the wrong crowd. He would say, they never experienced, they never experimented with drugs. They were in the full-scale investigation. So they were sitting at the table, my mom, my dad, and my sister. And they were talking about what, what Brother Osteen said and what, what Brother Hagen said and, and what this one prophesied. What that, and it just, I got up and I'm about half, you know, And I just said, just blurted out, I said, I'll be glad when you Christians get out of here when the rapture takes place and all you gone out of my life. Now what would you do if somebody had a rebellious son, you know, at that time I think I was 21 or 22 years old. You know, I left home at 17, 19, uh, 21, 22. Finally when I married Lee at 28, I left home for the last time. But I, I was always leaving home. This is one of the times when I was back. And, you know, you'd have thought, you know, my dad should have jerked me up and beat me. Here he was, a, 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 a charismatic lawyer for all these preachers, and my mom was, a, was an intercessor, and here my sister was a man. You know what their reaction was? It, it, it shook me. It shook me. I would not have had, if, if, if my dad would have just grabbed a belt and just beat the heck out, wouldn't have, wouldn't have, that wouldn't have phased me a bit. Simultaneous, like 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 a like like when someone gave it, they kicked their seats back from the from the, from the table where they were sitting having breakfast. They jumped up. My mom started dancing. My dad had his hands in the air. My sister was shouting, and my mom was screaming. He's thinking about the rapture. He's thinking about the rapture. That means he's thinking about the Word. That means the Word is still working in him. The Word is still working in him. He's thinking about glory to God. I'm like... <laughs> Amen? That's what love looks like. Not touching. Not fretting. can't sit in a stagnant place in your life. My life passes you by. Heart. Getting freed from offense begins with forgiveness. Forgiveness is not as easy. Unforgiveness can get into you, cause bitterness, and become so much a part of who you are. You wouldn't recognize yourself for that. Box you up. You don't blossom as a person. You're not, you never have joy. You have temporal happiness from time to time, but your true joy is I've dealt with situations in people. I'm telling you, Pastor, there was no capacity there. We live at a time families have done things to each other. Off the scale. Ministering by the Spirit in a meeting. Some people who were just extremely 
over situations that they had a right to be offended over that they didn't want to live in. Remember, I preached the title of that message that night because there were some things that had gone on in that church. I gave the altar call. on their capacity to give. The Lord showed me, because you can only do it by the Word. Only the Word has encapsulated it. When I got up, I didn't know how I was going to minister to this group. Inspiration of the Spirit hit my heart. And I, knew exactly what I, I have to turn to it in the Bible. I'd preached on it many times. Many times, your path to complete deliverance. But if you say something like, well, Pastor Rush, I'm going to you don't know what happened. I'm not going to try to measure your drama against anybody else. I'm not going to try to measure your capacity for forgiveness. I'm going to tell you this. There are things that happen. God put in His Word two illustrations. Most precious was His Son. When He hung on the cross, the people who were hanging people that he had gotten into covenant with through Abraham. The people he had watched over in the wilderness. The people that had produced David's king, Solomon's wealth. He was their Torah in As he hung on the cross, he did not took and assimilated all of our sin. Simulated and brought unto himself. As he laid, as he He did not look out at that crowd and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. That was beyond. Then he made this Father, the Bible says that the princes of this world would have come. Order of the church. But as the stones begin to hit him, Stephen cried and echoed almost. 
I forgive you for killing me. I forgive you for... What was he doing? He was recognizing and realizing within myself I have no capacity to free myself from the trauma of this offense. But I can't carry this offense to my grave. So I'm doing the only thing I know to do, and that is to have faith in my Father, who is a God of love and forgiveness. So for my sake, Father, forgive them. Something has happened to you. I know people, families get split up. Inheritances get ruined. Money gets squandered. Businesses go into bankruptcy. People steal. People lie. All types of things. Make that power of resentment. Make us so touching. God wants you. by forgiving individuals who brought such pain by going to God power me one day what the sycamine tree you know that's the only time the disciples ever asked Jesus Ever studied the sycamore tree? Amazing stuff. It was a bitter fruit. They sold the sweet figs to the people with money. But the people without money ate the sycamore tree. And the way sycamore trees reproduce is they Actually, the fruit of it dries up and closes up. And a deadly wasp comes and stings that fruit. Literally a picture of that. You don't want to live like that. No matter how deep your pain may be, or how deep your encouragement may be, or just you don't want to live like that. They say, well, Pastor Rusty, I, I've lived with it for years, and I forgive. But you know yourself, in the dark of the night, when you're alone, how those things can continue to be. You know when forgiveness has taken place. You know. You say, why? Because it's not In your memory, it's only in your memory by evidence. First thing I did when I got right with God, I went into my parents' room and I laid on the floor. My mom and dad. God released Always got on my knees. I maintain that posture. That thing manifests. Hence. Don't live because 
Lift your hands. What a sweet anointing we sense in this building. Presence to heal, Pastor talked about. Right here among us, right now. Every heart. Father, I would ask in the name of Jesus that we would be able to obey the scripture in 1 Corinthians 11. That we would be able to judge ourselves tonight on our own. To really see is there something in the word where we have been offended? Where the word has put a demand upon our finances, our character, our talents, our time. And we've resisted the demand of God. Father, is there an area in our life in which you've done something or are going to do something and it wasn't the way we thought it was going to happen? Father, are there people in our life Maybe the abuse and the pain is so deep that within our human capacity, we not find it. I ask you, Father. Give it. Now, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to do this. There are many things we do publicly and we want to minister publicly, but not tonight. tonight. So if you'll bow your heads in reverence to just close your eyes in respect for people around you. I want everybody to do that. Just close your eyes in respect. I want to see say, Pastor, that's me. And I don't want to live touching, fretful. I want to be made whole in myself. I don't want the hurts of my life dominating my thinking, dominating the choices I make, or even dominating how I Word and the power of the Holy Ghost to heal from the dramas and the crises. And tonight, I believe this is starting to If that's you, I want you to lift your hands. hands. Anyone else? Put it down. As soon as you lift it, put it right back down. Other hand, I see all those hands. Real quick, one more time. Anyone else? If you're not lifted your hand, lift your hand down. Thank you, God. God's dealing with some parts here. Your, your act of faith tonight is just to lift your hand. Nobody looking at me. Anyone else say that? That's me. That's me. I, I, I'm going to get the process. We're going to pull that sycamore tree up by the roots. And I'm going to pull it. I ate, ate, ate. I think I'm coming. Anyone else? Raise your hand. That's me. Put it up, put it down. Thank you. Everybody look this way. I want everybody to pray this prayer. But you pray it out loud so your own ears hear what your mouth is saying. And after you pray it, I want you to settle. You're not going to be offended. You're going to forgive. You're going to be free from the resentment of the past. You're not going to be touching the present. You're not going to be threatened. Out loud. Heavenly Father, right now, I submit myself word of God and the anointing in the atmosphere that your word has produced. I allow the word to put a demand upon my soul, upon the way I think, on the way 
choices I make. I say with my mouth, I will not be offended. I will not carry offense. I will not be bitter. I will not be unforgiving. So I ask you, Lord, in these dramas and crises of my life, grant me a grace. Our marriage for 34 years. We've never had any 
major hiccups or problems. People look at us like, I know they don't. And we're the two most opposite people ever met in your life. Born in the summer, I'm born in the winter. When it's hot, I'm cold. When it's cold, she's hot. I mean, we're the most two opposite people you've ever met. But we learn how to love one And it is. If you're married, you have to learn how to do this. You learn how to love each other. Other than she was. 